Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael De Silva, and I am your host for episode four. In this episode, we are going to be listening to Stephen Grant's second session from the Christian Fellowship Weekend entitled, Love Your Neighbor. We trust you will be challenged to live as Christ lived. Let's turn to Romans chapter 13, please. Romans chapter 13. Let's read from verse 1 just to get the the context of this. Let every soul be subject unto the highest powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything, but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, that's all we'll read, but just to kind of get a sense of the the context of this, and we're really picking up this idea not only of loving God, but of loving your neighbor as yourself. Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 13, where he's speaking about obligation. He's speaking about debt and the discharge of, of debt. And he's also speaking about this in the context of our place within society. Now, I don't know about you in Canada because I just don't, but um, in, in the UK, we have a general election, which is in process. And the campaigning is underway, and we're all fed up with it already. And so, we've had political machinations within our country for the last three years. You may have heard the word Brexit um, and so forth. So, we are in a time in our country of political upheaval and change, probably like at no other point in my lifetime. And the challenge for Christians is, well, what do you do in that context? Well, Romans 13 would tell you what to do because it speaks about our place within our culture and society as believers in the Lord Jesus. 
and it speaks about our duties and our obligation toward government, not just in terms of obeying the law, but also for paying for it. It speaks about our obligations to pay our taxes. It speaks about them as ministers of God. It speaks about the duty of government, which is to promote that which is good and to punish that which is evil. And they will be held accountable for the discharge of that duty before God. And then it comes down, when you come down the chapter, down to verse 6 and verse 7, it starts to speak about rendering tribute to him, tribute is due, custom to him, custom is due, fear to him, fear, honor to him, honor. So it is rendering and fulfilling your obligations within your community, society, or nation in that whole context of government and so on. But what he then speaks about is an obligation within our community, which has got nothing to do with elections or taxation. It's something that goes to the heart of our place as Christians within our society. So it is in that context that we read these scriptures. So he's saying in verse number 8, Owe no man anything, so that you need to discharge your duties and obligations as a citizen within your community insofar as they do not breach your chief obligation to God. Part of that obligation is to owe no man anything. Now, what that does not mean is not that you can't enter into contractual relationships or take borrowings and, you know, a contractual agreement to pay back borrowing. What it means is just this. You are not in a position where you're failing to meet your obligations. That is what it means by owe no man anything. It doesn't mean that you can't have a mortgage or something like that. But it does mean that you don't default on it. So then, he, in that context, says, listen, actually, positively, your obligation is not just to owe no man anything, that's negative, but positively, your obligation in the context of our community is to love one another. So he's now going to speak in Romans 8 about that, drawing out from the law again. The Lord Jesus, if we'd get on to Matthew 22 and, and fix there, he would have said that the greatest is to love God and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Here is a debt that we owe to people around about us. It is an obligation that God expects us to discharge, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. This is not a bolt-on additional aspect to Christianity. This is not that you can choose to be in a local church that doesn't do this, and that's fine. Or you can choose to be in a local church that does do this, and that's better. It's not a question of degree. It's a question of absolutes. This is an obligation for all of us. In fact, in relation to our community and society, rather than worrying so much about the government that's going to be in place, we should be far more concerned about our positive 
contribution in love into that community. Representing Christ and manifesting the love of Christ toward our neighbor. And if I feel we spent more energy in that direction and less in the political direction, then it would have a far greater impact for God. So here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you know, if you thought it was hard to love God, when you come to this, this is mission impossible. I mean, most of you can't stand your neighbors, never mind love them. You don't agree with their lifestyles. You find their lifestyle offensive, sinful, unacceptable. How are you going to love these people? The Lord Jesus, he teaches us about love, doesn't he, in Romans chapter 13. He uses an object lesson and then he brings the, 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 the teaching from it. And so in John chapter 13, you remember the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, and he's preparing them for his absence. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And what he's saying is just this, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. And in that context, I think he was anticipating that this would be a challenge to them, and it often is. But in that context, he's saying, here is the great defining characteristic of a Christian to a world that's ungodly. It is not actually what we might think it would be. It is love. And he said that, by this shall all men know. Well, in case they didn't get it or missed it, uh, he repeats it five verses later. I command in verse uh, 17 of chapter, John 5, um, he's down and he says, this I command you that you love one another. And then in case we didn't get it, Paul teaches it, let love be without hypocrisy and so on. First Corinthians 16, let all that you do be done in love. Galatians 5.14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Ephesians 5.2, walk in love. It says, Christ loved you and gave himself for you. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9, there is the love of the brethren. You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So as Christians, and we'll come to this later, you, we need to discharge our debt in terms of our love for each other. But to love our neighbor is something that's fundamentally Christian. Fundamentally. It is a church truth. It should be, have you ever you see a, have you see a, you know, a, a series of Bible teaching meetings on church truth? You'll never see this. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Yet, remember this, the church is made up of people, and the church is people. And if that obligation rests upon us as the Lord's people, it is one of the great characteristics of a local church, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. You can't separate the two. 
We need to owe no man anything but to love. And when you come to uh, Romans 13 and verse 8, he says this, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. That word another is just the word neighbor, and it is a debt of love that we owe. Now, of course, your mind is a way back to the story of the Good Samaritan because, you know, it's the question that pops up, isn't it? Who is my neighbor? Well, that question, of course, was addressed to the Lord Jesus. Who is my neighbor? So, as the Lord's people were sitting here like this, so the question is, who around here have we to love? So, down this street down here or over here or whatever, in these houses, who, who is it that we have to love? In your office, in your family, in your community, who is this? Well, you see, that question was asked the Lord Jesus because the person who asked it wanted to narrow the focus of divine commandment. He wanted to love people who were just like himself. The challenge is to love people who are not like ourselves. That's the challenge. And it comes from the story of the Good Samaritan. You can't read that story without coming across this fundamental point. That here is a love that was unusual. You, I don't have time, but you could go back to Luke chapter 10 and read the story, and you should go back and read the story because sadly that story has become an idiom for unusual sacrificial giving. That's not what the story was all about. The story was to demonstrate that this love is absolutely unusual, unachievable, unattainable without divine help. And it was to demonstrate to the person who was asking it who the neighbor was, but also to demonstrate that here is the second greatest commandment of the law, and we cannot keep the law. But in the same way that we are enabled by the indwelling Spirit of God to be responsive to the love of God to us as we love God, then so too we can be responsive to the love of Christ for us by loving our neighbor as he loved us. And by the way, we were very different from him. There could be no greater distance between two people two men in earth than the difference between the Lord Jesus Christ and me when I get saved. There's no bigger difference that exists. You have a sinner, a rebel, someone who is condemned to eternal judgment and you're the perfect, holy, sinless, spotless son of God. Here we are. We're, we're, we're not miles apart. We're not, you couldn't put us in any spectrum. Yet he loved me and gave himself for me. This is the standard. When you read the Good Samaritan, this is what's written in the law. We have to love our neighbor as ourselves. They recited it all the time. And yes, we see the perfect example in the Lord Jesus Christ, but that's not why the parable was written. We see Christ as the perfect example of the Good Samaritan. He is. 
But when you look at the context of this, here is a man who wants to justify himself, feel good about himself. And so he's been told to love his neighbor as himself. So what does he do with that? Well, you have two choices. One is you realize that you can't attain that. You fall short of that. Therefore, you need to seek God's help and forgiveness and enabling in order to strive up the way, or you simply bring the standard down to where you are. That's what he wanted to do. So he's going to narrow the focus so that it's attainable, but it's not attainable. And naturally, he says, who is my neighbor? Let's narrow it. Let's, let's bring it right down. I mean, after all, as a Pharisee, I can love other Pharisees, and I might manage a Sadducee or two. Certainly couldn't be doing with the Herodians. And when you go beyond the borders of Israel, it's just a no-no. So if you don't mind, Lord, can you, can you just be a bit more, like, narrow it down a bit? He says, I'm not going to narrow it down a bit. I'm going to absolutely expand it to the unacceptable. Now, remember this. that the Samaritans and the Jew had a religious conflict that went back thousands of years. It was in their DNA. There was a distrust and a hatred, and there was religious hate crimes going on. The desecration of the temple in Jerusalem by the Samaritans was in living memory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, you had the destruction of the temple in Mount Gerizim. And then you see it all in John 4 between the woman at the well and the Lord. And there's this spiritual religious conflict. They couldn't stand each other. So then you bring that into the context of the story, and you have the the man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I don't have time to go into the detail of it, but you know, he's on a journey down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and by chance, a certain, I love the storytelling of the Lord Jesus, and by chance, a certain priest, he's building the whole thing, certain priest was coming down in that road. He's a priest who knows what the Old Testament law said, which was this, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34, taught them, if you meet a stranger in need, you do whatever it takes to meet that need. That's in the law of God. He literally passed by on the other side. That doesn't mean he took a hop, skip, and a jump to the other side of the road. It means that he turned tail and went back in the opposite direction. The priest did not love that man in the road. Doesn't matter what he felt, doesn't matter what he said, doesn't, he didn't love him because he didn't help him. That's the story. You can't read it any other way. You can't sit in this building and if there's a need, I don't know if there is, I'm just pointing out there, I don't know actually what's out there. You can't say, you know, there's a need over there, someone to put it biblically, is cold and hungry, and sit in here warmed and filled and say, for God so loved the world. We're going to fulfill the divine commission. We're going to shout at them and tell them they need to be saved. But I certainly won't take off my coat and give it to them. And I'm not going to give them a morsel to eat. But I love them. No, you don't. They're not an audience. They are people for whom Christ died. Therefore, we need to love them. We need to, we're going to see later, we need to declare the gospel. 
course we do. I don't believe in this thing, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's unbiblical. Words are completely necessary for the communication of the gospel. You cannot come to faith in Christ without hearing. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. There's no question about that. But we also need to love our neighbor as ourselves. Not to gain converts, but to fulfill the divine requirement to show the love of Christ. Someone says that every bouquet of flowers to someone in a hospital doesn't need to have a tract stuck in it. Doesn't need to have a tract stuck in it. You need to love. So anyway, the priest goes the other road. And then a Levite comes. Okay, so the Levite's like the second division guy from Jerusalem. He's on the bench. He's the Levite. He's, he's the sort of religious police. Uh, the priest's at the top of the pecking order. The Levite's near the bottom. And it's interesting that although there's a slight difference, he basically does the same thing. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey so the assumption for the persons hearing this story was clear. The Samaritan, the, the most likely thing he will do is rob him or kill him. So we assume at the very least he will be of no help to him because he doesn't love him. It's too big. A, there's a cultural difference. There's no way that they, there's no way the Samaritan is going to love someone from Jerusalem. He's not been brought up to love him. It's not a natural thing. It's unusual. That's the point of the story. This is, we can't express within our culture how shocking this story was. It broke all the social norms. This is the blood enemy of Judaism. So you've got two men who have no love, and you've got one man that has a love. Two men who are religious but no love, one man who is really a heretic, an outcast, but with love. So this issue of love's got nothing to do with religion. It's got nothing to do with religion. What about this extraordinary love? His compassion for his fellow man led him to change his plans. You know, I'll tell you the truth, I hate changing my plans. You know, that way you're settling in at night and you've got a plan for the night and the doorbell goes. And then you look at, oh, hi, come in. You know, it's all good. Yeah. Meanwhile, the timer has been set. Um, you're laughing because you all do it. So this man changed his plans. He used his resources. You get the idea. You know, he uses what is costing him money. He pours in oil and wine. And then he's actually, he's going to inconvenience himself. So he puts him on his animal. He's got to walk now. He's going to go out his way. He brings him to an inn. He is uh, holding the man on and all that kind of stuff. He stays with him all night. So his agenda is now secondary to the needs of this man. He gives up his own clothes, his supplies, his time, his animal. This is unbelievable. It's actually unbelievable. It's not believable. 
You translate that into your city and your culture, and it is unbelievable. Naturally speaking, there's no way I would do this. I mean, you've just got to be honest. Are you going to go to the extremity of love that the Samaritan did? Don't take the high position and say, yeah, all the time. I don't believe you. Because you're a sinner, just the same as me. And this is the law that we cannot fulfill, naturally. It condemns us. And it was condemning the man who said, who is my neighbor? It was demonstrating them that he could not keep this law. Even if he tried his best, he wouldn't. It was a condemnation, not a kind of example for him to to go and emulate. He couldn't emulate it. And then he's putting his hand in his pocket, maybe the most painful part for a Scotsman, and he puts his hand in his pocket and he takes the money out. Is there no end to this man's kindness? Well, that's the point of the story. There doesn't seem to be. So he is impoverishing himself by his generosity, which, by the way, is the difference between God's generosity and man's generosity. We rarely impoverish ourselves by our giving, but, of course, Christ impoverished himself because he made himself of no reputation. He said, Father, forgive them. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was left with nothing, abandoned. He was impoverished. He was made poor. And that's what the Samaritan is doing. So the Lord says to the man, okay, who is your neighbor? There you go. Okay, let's see how you got on with that. Go and do the same. There's the word of condemnation. You go and do the same, and you'll fulfill the law. Well, of course he wouldn't. He couldn't. Yet when you come to Romans chapter 13, Paul is now writing to Christians. And he says this, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Then he speaks about, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment, fulfilling of the law. What is he saying? He is saying that as Christians, in the same way that we're instructed to love God, we are instructed not just to love other Christians, but to love our neighbor. It's a challenge, isn't it? Are you going to show the love of Christ to those whose lifestyle choices are a direct violation of divine law, the creatorial order? The answer must be yes. Cannot be anything else. Christians should never, ever be demonstrating hate in those circumstances. Never. When you think about individuals who sin, and we all sin, but particularly in our generation who are following a pathway that is not only unlawful but unnatural, should that in any way diminish 
our desire to love them as our neighbor? The answer is no. Otherwise, Christ would never have loved us. It is not for us to be like that man and say, who is my neighbor? And desire to constrict the reach of this divine commandment to those that we think would make good Christians. So in our day, that brings its own challenges, and I'm not denying the challenges that that brings. And its own issues, which can be very challenging indeed. Oops. I don't know what that is. I'm just about finished anyway. Maybe that was a point for me to finish. Yeah, that was, that was getting short. When it comes down to this, and this is the reality of it, let's be honest. We, were, we had a situation back home where, I won't go into details, but um, certain family members, extended family members, without being crude, but certain family members have relationships which fall into that category. And so, there was a family event. What do you do? What do you do? And so, the answer is just this, I think. That they are not a Christian, and they're behaving true to character. I am the Christian. Therefore, I need to behave true to character. What does Christ-likeness look like that? Does it not look like the Lord at Sykers well, who sat down and returned with dignity a conversation to someone whose moral compass was obviously lost? By doing so, you do not approve of sin, you simply love your neighbor as yourself. There's a big difference. It is far easier just to shut that door and pretend that the world out there is unreachable. It's easier to do it. You shut the door, pretend that the world out there is not longing for an answer to their sin, that there's not souls out there broken and destroyed by immorality whose lives are shambolic. And the answer is the gospel. The answer is the manifestation of the love of God in Christ Jesus. The answer is the forgiveness of sin. The answer is repentance. It's in the Bible. And we can't constrict the extent of its reach. We must not constrict the extent of its reach. And so, when we think about this, let us love God and let us love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's just pray.